Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. And we thank you that as we're going to read about Isaiah prophesying to the Israelites as they're about to enter exile, that when we're in exile, you are with us. That we can know, even when we don't feel, that you are with us. We know you are there. Lord, a voice has been heard in the wilderness preparing a way for your son to arrive in this world. Prepare our hearts to receive your son and help us to prepare for his coming. Amen and amen. Today we'll be reading in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. So if you brought your Bibles with you, please pull them out, turn to Isaiah chapter 40. And if you didn't, didn't bring a Bible... There should be one in the seat back in front of you. And once again, if you don't own a Bible, please take that home as our gift so that you may start spending time in God's Word. So let read with me from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and rugged places a plain. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fail, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Go up on a high mountain, you who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid, says the towns of Judah. Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tom jumped forward on the timeline of, of the Bible 
to take you to the book of Malachi. The Israelites had just returned to their homeland after having lived in exile for 70 years. But they returned to a Jerusalem that had been ransacked and wasn't the Jerusalem they had left. And yet God asked the Israelites and us, trust me. We backed up a little earlier last week to the book of Jeremiah and the time during, during Israel's exile to Babylon. And this week, we'll be backing up a little bit further in time to the book of Isaiah and a time just prior to Israel's exile. In the verses we read today, God wants, us to, re God wants to reassure Israel that their exile will only be for a finite period of time, that they will return, and that he will be with them. Once again, God is asking the Israelites and us, trust me. Now, I don't want to see a show of hands, but have any of you ever been in exile? Maybe you're in exile now. Exiles are absolutely no fun. You don't volunteer. You don't know where you're going. You don't know how you got there. And you don't know where God is. In fact, God may not even make much sense in the moment. You have a lot of why questions Seemingly with no answers. You don't know if you'll ever return. And if you do, you don't know what it'll be like coming back. Exiles are rough. There are a lot of different ways you might be in exiles. First way is what most of us think about exile is location. You're someplace you don't want to be. The Israelites were taken captive and relocated to Babylon. Like them, you might find yourself living or working someplace you never wanted to go. My parents were in exile like that for a lot of years. I grew up in Waukesha, and the summer before I started high school, I was supposed to be in the first class entering Waukesha North that had just been built. It's really old now. But my dad was transferred to Indiana for his job. No one in the family wanted to go. I was particularly disappointed because I found out later that my dad had had a choice. We could have moved to Santa Barbara, California. And to my early teenage mind, Santa Barbara, California sounded way cooler than the cornfields of Indiana. And 50 years ago, it probably was way cooler. But my dad chose Indiana. Way to go, Dad. <clears throat> Mom was miserable, too. There was hardly a day that we didn't hear how things were so much better in Wisconsin. And how much happier we'd be when we moved back. 
Sometimes she'd growl that it, she'd be moving back on her own if dad didn't hurry up and take her there. Well, one of mom's greatest fears was that we four children would meet and marry Hoosiers. <laughs> which she said with a sneer just like that. And we'd spend the rest of our lives in Indiana. And of course, those fears all came true. In my case, I met my wife Mary when she was a high school science teacher leading the school's science fair. I was a college chemistry student who got drafted by one of my professors to go and judge the science fair exhibits. We started dating after that, and I can honestly say I won grand prize at the science fair. Well, to hear mom talk, the return to Wisconsin would be happening at any moment, but it took them 44 years to do it. And they moved to De Pere in 2016. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Tom described that things are usually different when you return from exile, and so it was for my mom and dad. They missed their Indiana church, and they missed their Indiana friends, in other words, that they discovered that they were in exile all over again. Our relationships can also end up in exile. And many of you know this far too well. Mary and I went into exile, so to speak, about 25 years ago. It was a terrible time. It's something I don't like to talk about and I didn't expect to do this because it was painful and I have a lot of regrets. But maybe it will help you if I mention it. We still, to this day, do not know how things started out going wrong. It was very sudden. Suddenly I didn't like her and she didn't like me and everything we did was wrong in the other's eyes. And we argued nonstop. There was nothing extraordinary going on for either one of us, if you know what I mean, that would cause this. Just nothing was right. We were suddenly at odds as if somebody had flicked a light switch. Of course, the children are the ones that bear the brunt of it all. We had four young children who suffered us growling every night so they'd cry and they'd try to avoid the crossfire. I remember tucking one of our daughters into bed one night. She asked me, am I going to become a child of divorce? She was in her early elementary school. I was shocked that she could think of that possibility. But then I was devastated that she had to ask. Not on my watch, I said. But that was the bravado of a father who, speaking out of his own strength, it was a father mustering up the willpower to keep things together. And the terrible thing about willpower and our own strength that there's not enough of it to be had. If you've ever tried to stop smoking or to 
lose weight or to change something about yourself, much less rescue a relationship, you know that we run out of our own steam mighty fast. I needed God to intervene, and I prayed hard for that, but I didn't even know where God was. I didn't help the situation a lot. I had a stressful job. And because of that, I was awful cranky a lot of the time. And coming home to conflict was hard to do. At times like that, I tend to withdraw because I'm a deep introvert. Some of you may be surprised to hear that because I'm not shy. I love people. I love being around people. And I care deeply about people. But when I need to regroup and recharge, that requires time alone. And in this case, I had a lot of regrouping and recharging to do. So I hung out at a coffee shop with a couple of my buddies instead of hanging out, or instead of heading home right away after work. And as you probably guessed, that just escalated problems and caused Mary and I to become estranged all the further. Along the way, Mary and I went to a Christian counselor. He worked with us together and separately for several months. And he finally concluded, you two shouldn't be having any trouble. You're nothing like the other people I see. But the troubles kept coming And we lost a lot of opportunities with our kids and a lot of good family memories in the three years that this went on. Then all of a sudden, the light switch was flipped again. It was one single day, the same day for both of us. Everything was better. Things took quite a a bit of time to heal, but that day, healing began. Even today, neither one of us can tell you why that exile started, nor why it ended. When I told Mary I was going to speak about this in this message, she said, please do, I hope it helps somebody else. But what was that all about? We still to this day don't know. I can only conclude that it was a God thing. Now we've been married for 41 years. Our marriage and our family are stronger and better than it ever was before that. And we're much more appreciative and thankful for the gift from God that we have in each other and in our family. We're especially thankful that God was there in the midst of our exile all the time, even when it didn't seem like he was there, because he carried us through. But there by the grace of God go we, because not everybody's exiles go so well. Health challenges are another form of exile. Too many of us are too familiar with these terrible journeys, whether they're for our physical health, 
or emotional health or mental health. I've shared fears and pains with people in recent years as I've tried to provide some modicum of pastoral care. And many people are bearing unbelievably heavy burdens. And you may be one of them or one who knows one all too well. That's certainly an exile. In those moments, God still asks us to trust me. And our answer is often, Lord, it's so hard. Our family has had its moments like that too, just as yours probably has. Two years ago, I had triple bypass open heart surgery. The night before the procedure, I was suddenly gripped by fear. I had never known fear like that before. I had never been so afraid. It was just Mary and I in a dimly lit hospital room in Milwaukee, and I sobbed. Thankfully, thankfully, our pastor daughter-in-law, she's such a sweetheart, photographed and sent some pages of a liturgy for those facing a critical medical procedure. Mary and I prayed that liturgy, asking the great physician to do what only he could do. Earlier this year with Mary's diagnosis, we faced those fears and prayed those prayers once more trusting God as well as we could at times when it's very hard to know that he's there. You can be in exile in many other ways. And when we find ourselves in terrible situations like this, we can't help but to ask, where is God in this? Why does he allow this? Or can, why doesn't he fix this? Often the answer isn't satisfying. But just as often, he's carrying us through in ways that we cannot see in the moment. That's why God used the prophet Isaiah in our section of scripture today. He wanted Israel to know that even though that they were being about to, out, about to be taken captive, he was with them. He proclaimed comfort to his people. And after their time of exile was over, he would bless them once again. He announced that he would be coming again. He urged them to prepare the way of the Lord. He assured them that God's word endures forever. And he shouted from the mountaintops that he would gather his people once again. The Lord says the same thing to you and I. When he takes us through our exiles, he places us in situations where our strengths and are just irrelevant. Our willpower is just irrelevant 
And our weaknesses are glaringly evident. Then he highlights our need for him and says, trust me. He reassures us just the way he reassured Israel in verse 11. He tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. And he carries them close to his heart and gently leads those who have young. So even if you're in exile, and especially if you're in exile, follow 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I always think that word cares seems so, so, it's not enough. Because it seems such like a, such a weak word. Because it's God more than just cares for you. He absolutely cherishes you. He loves you with a love so great that he sent his son Jesus expressly for you. Later on when you take the bread and the wine, the body and the blood, and hear those words, for you. Think of that. He came for you. As it says in 1 John, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we first loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Through Jesus, your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life through him and he will be with you in every exile. Amen. Amen. Before the beginning got too far down the road, it all fell apart. Paradise lost. Humanity ruined. The divine image bearers formed from dust, the ones who held the very breath of God in their lungs, lost their way, forgot their worth, and broke the heart of the Creator who loved them with all his heart. Through the centuries, God beckoned them all to return. But on they wandered, into the parched deserts of power and prestige, into the bleak winters of self-absorption, casting themselves into waters that could not quench their thirst, forgetting they are loved by love incarnate. Priests and prophets, kings and judges, God sent them all, but none could save his beloved. Humanity had fallen into the depths of sin, into long nights with no hope of morning. But he is the light of the world, and in his perfect way, 
in the fullness of time, love suddenly gleamed across the night like stardust. Our Savior arrived in a dynasty with no earthly kingdom, a lineage born to suffer, a royal heritage created for death. For God so loved this world, these people, he came down from his throne to ransom them. He purchased humanity from its captive, offering himself as the sacrifice. And suddenly, all the earth and the souls who looked for him felt their worth.